Hello and good morning, church, on all of our campuses. Was that an all right video? Let's put our hands together and thank the video team for that. Good morning, everybody. And I wanted to say welcome, Corey. Yay. I'm glad you were out here to join us. Yes. And, and why are you here this morning to start? You're going to preach today. No, not today. But I did just want to um, come out and join you as we are getting excited for um, the Tighten the Knot um, marriage conference that's coming up in less than two weeks. 13 days from now, so two Saturdays away. Yep, March the 7th. All right, so why are you excited about the Tighten the Knot marriage conference? I'm excited because this is the third marriage conference that our church has been able to host. And... Um, I'm excited, too, because there's going to be two live locations this year. So one here in Anderson and one down in Columbia. So yep. we're going to get to hear um, two live speakers here uh -huh. and two live speakers there. That's exactly right. So I want to make sure everybody knew that. We, we've classically done this in five locations. But what we're going to do this year is create two venues that are both the primary venue. So two live communicators will be here in Anderson. Two live communicators will be there in Columbia. And then we'll also have the benefit of... Corey and I will get to host the conference here. Yes. And then who's hosting in Columbia? Um, our really great friends, Clayton and Shari King. Yeah, so they'll be hosting down there. In addition to that, we're going to have workshops throughout lunch. So price of the ticket covers your lunch, and we've got some super practical workshops. I know yes. you've seen the list. Why don't you encourage everybody with a couple of them? Yes, so these are also live, which is great because you're going to get to hear from real-life people who we both would consider experts in these different areas. Um, I know for me, there's going to be one about shaping a child's heart. So as a mom of three kids, I'm, I'm certainly thinking about okay, what's the condition of my kids' hearts? Who are they becoming? Do they know who they are? Um, so I'm definitely wanting to tune in on that one. Um, there's also gonna be one for young and in love. So if you're single and you're dating or you're engaged, that's gonna be a perfect one for you to get to. Yeah, on that point, I actually, I have an marriage. email in my inbox uh, with folks that are wondering if we do premarital counseling. And yes, the answer is we do at all of our campuses. So if you're thinking about getting married, we do premarital counseling, we love that. But one of the best things you can do if you're dating someone or you're engaged is come and be a part. We've got a workshop for young and in love. And actually we've got some great people that are gonna be teaching that like Caleb and Kristen White will be teaching that specific one. Yes. It's gonna be great. Uh, we got some for empty nesters. Uh, also, we've got some that are in their second marriage. So how do you win in your second marriage, okay, and, and more. So these are really, really great. Um, the thing that I would tell people about these workshops is if you were to write me an email and you were to explain, hey, here's what I need. My wife and I are in this space. My husband and I are in this space. The people teaching these workshops are the very best in our entire church, staff members and otherwise. So this is the wisest counsel that we could give you, and it's gonna be a really great day that's in two Saturdays away. Yes. So what if people wanna sign up, how can they do that? Yes, if you would like to sign up, it's really simple. You just have to text to 30303, Tighten the Knot. Yeah, so pull yes. your phone out real quick, and you can shoot a text to Tighten the Knot. That's the text you're gonna send to 30303, just like that, and they'll send you a link, and you can look and see more information, and you can jump in on that. I know we've got thousands Thousands of folks already signed up, but we wanted to make sure this is kind of the last big push before we get, because we want to know we, we've got enough food, we've got enough stuff for all the people that are coming. So we want to make sure everybody knew about that. That's yes. it, Mom. Yeah, that's going to be all. So one thing, do you yeah. mind praying for this conference and yes. for the day real quick before we jump into the sermon? That would be wonderful. Absolutely. All right. Come on. All right. Father God, we, um, we come to you right now, and God, we ask that you would just go before us um, in in this conference, that's two weeks away, Father. I know that you are in the middle of every single logistical detail, but God, I just pray that you would prepare every single heart yeah. um, of, the, of each person that's going to walk through the doors here in Anderson and the doors in Columbia, Father. I just pray that you would prepare, prepare us for what you have for us, for what you have for our marriages, God. You want them to thrive and grow. And so God, I look forward to seeing um, just what kind of fruit is gonna come from an event like this. And God, I, I just lift up right now to you, my brother, 
and my husband, Brad, God, I ask that you would give him so much wisdom and confidence, God. Those two things, they come from you. So God, I just pray that you would bless him in these next moments as he shares with us um, just what you have for us to hear today. We love you so much and we pray all of these things in the precious and powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank so, you, Dave, love. I love you. I'm, I'm proud of you. Uh, and um, I'll see you later. All right. Okay. I'll talk to you later. Y'all give my wife a hand real quick. Thank you, love. I don't know if you know about the pastoral anointing, but basically if you go into ministry, you get to marry up. It's just part of God's stuff that he does. And so I feel like I married up. Hey, um, welcome to church today. I I want you to know that today I've got to ask your permission before we jump in. We're in the second week of a series we're calling The Life-Giving Church because we believe that that's who God has called us to be and that his church is a life-giving church. Um, But in order to uh, really begin the conversation today, I wanted to ask permission. Because today, I feel like one of the things that is on me to do is to shepherd us. And that I'll stand before the Lord on specifically the content that I put before you today. And so I just wanted to ask on every one of our campuses, all 14 watching online, do I have permission from you to be real? And if I do, I need you to say amen. Amen. Because that's all I want to do is be real. So with that in mind, here's where our vision statement is and the entire conversation during this series is all about. You got to hear from Pastor Dan Leanne last week and he reiterated that our vision statement as a church is simply the New Spring Church is a life-giving church marked by the presence of God activating you to impact others. That means if you come to New Spring on any given weekend, wherever you are in life, hopefully you walk out of a service with more wind in your sails, more life in your veins, ready to tackle the week ahead. But in addition to that, we want you to know that we anticipate and prepare for the number one most important guest every single week in New Spring Church is the Lord. And that we want the presence of the Lord here, that we're going to do everything we can to do church for the Lord, and in so doing, we're going to do church for you. Uh, Really quickly, a story from our Spartanburg campus that hit us this week. I heard about a first-time guest that came last week to our Spartanburg campus the guest was a Jewish man. He'd never been to a church like ours before, ever. And so he didn't really know the, 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 you know, the kind of the rules, the unspoken rules. So like he walks in, he's a little bit nervous. Um, but one of the things that he said afterwards was he literally, this was his words, not ours. I saw the presence of God billowing out. That was his word, billowing out of the auditorium. And I knew I was in a good place. So he says, he gets in, he takes a seat, the first song's playing, and he asked the usher if he could step down front to the front to worship. And the usher said, absolutely, the altar's always open. Go ahead, you can move. He went down front, he worshiped during the first set, and we didn't find out that he was a first-timer or a guest until after the fact when he was talking about the presence of God being in the place. That's incredible, isn't it, that the presence of God is right here with us? That's what we want to be about, but not not just that. We want to not just be a people that comes to church and that the world out there doesn't feel the reality that we were in here meeting with God. We want to be a people that allows the Lord to activate us, believing that he wants to impact our schools, our jobs, our subdivisions, our homes, our neighborhoods, our ball teams, that he wants to activate us in here to impact others out there. That Jesus said the greatest commandment is that we love the Lord our God and love our neighbor. And so there are people that are not at New Spring Church today that should feel the reality that you and I are here. Amen? That's what we're aiming to be. 
Now, before I get us in, I just got to tell you, I got to confess something. Um, a couple of years ago, my wife and I, we put our house on the market. We, we had had a, a great home. We loved it, a little starter home. It was right near Anderson University. It was perfect, and it was, it was just what we needed. But we, we wanted to have a bigger family, and so we started trying to figure out what the plan needed to be. And so we said, okay, let's make the decision. We're going to put our house up. And literally the next day, we had four people looking at our home the very first group of folks that looked at our home made an offer on our house. And we were like, yes! Not only did they make an offer, they made an offer in cash. I was like, wow! I don't know how anybody has that much cash, but that's pretty cool. They made an offer. Now, the, the tough thing was, if we were going to say yes to the offer, we had to be out of our house that month. And everybody was like, Whoa! So we were, we were running around, grabbing our stuff, slamming in boxes, signed the contract, and we didn't know where we were going to go, didn't know what we were going to move into. We, we didn't know anything, but we got all of our stuff in boxes, and we moved into an apartment, and we purchased for the very first time, not one, but two storage units. Anybody out there got a storage unit? You know, wave your hand at me if you got a storage unit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you would not be alone. One in 10 Americans have storage units, which is kind of crazy. And we, the Cooper family, had to buy two of them for all of our stuff to put in boxes. One of them was just a normal storage unit, and the other one was climate control, because you know, we can't mess up mama's stuff. So we put it in the storage unit. And then I started finding out all the stats on storage units. Storage units began in America in the 1960s. Before that, we didn't even have them. And in the 1960s, they began really as people started transitioning jobs. In addition, they began as people started getting divorced. You needed somewhere to store your stuff while everything was happening. And so they exploded, though, over the course of the last 30 years. This year, the storage unit industry in America will have a revenue over $40 billion, with a B, $40 billion to hold all the stuff that we can't stuff into our homes. $40 billion. And what's crazy is, statistically, that means that we have enough storage units in our country for every grown man, woman, and child to have their own 7 by 7 storage unit space. And that's storage units. You know how many storage units that is? That means that the nation of Honduras, as a size, could literally fit in the storage units we have in America as a people. What? That's crazy. Now, that's not even counting your garage that you have stuff in that you don't park your car in anymore, or that upstairs bedroom where you cram all your stuff, or the kids' room that they moved out of that you got all your stuff in the closets, or the attic space. We have a problem with all of our stuff. Amen? crazy. One of the other statistical reasons for this is since the 1990s, the last 30 years, we as Americans have doubled our disposable income. We have more in our bank accounts, disposable income, unspoken for income than we've ever had at any point in American history. And you might say, that's incredible, that's great, that's an economic success. We ought to be seeing some incredible things in the church because God said, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. And he's talking about every aspect of life. And so God's got abundance in mind for us. And so as we are abundantly blessed, we will be an abundant blessing. You're blessed to be a blessing, just like the good book says. Statistically, that's not true. Right now, we have more abundance in our country than we've ever had before. Check this out. And we give away less than we've ever given away before. In America, we give away around Christians in America. So if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you're just checking this thing out, you can adhere to the fact that we have a stuff problem. 
but you might not lean in for this part. I just want to talk to Christians for a moment. Christians today in America give away less than they've ever given away before. 2.5% of our annual income goes to other generous giving. Now, that's not the church. That's the church and the hospital and the school and the United Way and the Boy Scouts and the Girl Scouts and everything, okay? That's all the things we give away for. Now, what's really sobering is we are in the greatest abundance we've ever seen statistically, giving away 2.5%. If you go back and you look in history, when was our least abundant season as a nation? It's historically during the Great Depression, right, in the 30s. Uh, the Great Depression after 1929, huge fall, stock market crashes. Well, you know what? We gave away more as Christians in the Great Depression, 3.3%, than we give away now in the Great Abundance, 2.5%. Let that sink in. So I'm grateful that you gave me permission this morning, and I'm, I, I feel like one of the things that I've got to do a great job of doing is just saying out loud, I'm going to talk about our stuff today. I'm going to talk about our stuff because we've got a stuff problem, and we think we think that the more stuff we've got, the more dollars we've got, the more amount of things we have, the happier we are. But that's not true either. We have more medication, more depression, more anxiety, more fear than ever before. And so these things just don't go together. But if we're going to be a life-giving church and we're going to be a life-giving people, then we've got to deal with the death-dealing stuff that's strangling every single one of us. More stuff than we've ever had before. At the same time, check this out, more debt than we've ever had before. More debt and more stuff all at once. We have a problem. Somebody push the red button. Now, again, I just say this out loud because I've got to be bold right here, okay? There's a lot of people that get um, a bit sensitive when pastors or preachers or teachers talk about our stuff and our money, and I get it. I understand. There's a lot of things out there that you need to be skeptical about. But here's where I'm coming from. I'm coming from a pastoral perspective where 57% of divorces in our country have stuff and dollars and cents at the center of it. I'm coming from a place where I talk to college kids and I see young professionals coming out of college with incredible amounts of student loan debt, never ever going to get out from under that. I come from a place where our pastoral team who would track with counseling week after week after week at any one of our campuses is going to have huge amounts of conversations, whether it be marital or individual or with single moms or single dads, and they're the, at the core of the conversation is going to be our stuff and all of it and how it's creating so much anxiety. So here's what I'm going to throw back at you, and I'm going to say, you might say, I don't trust a church that won't talk about, that talks about stuff or money, but I'm going to say, I wouldn't trust a church that doesn't. That according to the scriptures, stuff and material was second on Jesus' list of things he talked about. The only thing that was first before it was the kingdom of God. He talked about stuff and material and dollars and cents more than he talked about heaven, hell, and love combined. So if you want to go to a Bible-believing church that preaches the Bible, they're going to have to address stuff, your stuff, my stuff, our stuff, and we're going to do that. And so thank you for giving me permission. If you got your Bible, I want to open, open them up to Luke chapter 16. If you want to follow along on the app, we've got the notes there as well. You can open it up there. But in Luke chapter 16, Jesus begins to speak about stuff. And one of the things that Jesus is going to do is he talks about stuff in Luke 16, picking it up in verse 9 in just a moment, is he's going to name the stuff mammon. M-A-M-M-O-N, mammon. 
And you and I don't use that word. We don't roll down the street talking about mammon. Um, I, I used to talk about mamwich as a kid. I don't know if you ever grew up on mamwich. Anybody grew up on mamwich as a kid? That ain't mammon, it's mamwich. Okay, all right, mamwich, you know, you had a song and a jingle that's coming to mind right now. But mammon, what is mammon? Jesus talks about it. Mammon is actually a lowercase g God. It's the only other God other than Yahweh that was ever in the mouth of our Savior. That should tell us something. He never talked about Jezebel. He never talked about any other spiritual deity, but he does talk about mammon twice, once in Matthew chapter 6 and once in Luke 16. Luke 16 is the longer version. He's going to mention mammon three times because, here's the reason, our stuff and our material and our dollars and our bank accounts are spiritual. They tell us about some spirituality. It's one of the most spiritual things in our lives is our stuff. And Jesus wants us to be healthy in spirituality, wants us to be life-giving as individuals. And so if he's going to do life-giving, he's got to talk about it. And so this is what he goes to say. Now let me give you a little bit of etymology on where mammon comes from. Mammon is actually a reference to the Babylonians and then the Syrians. They had a god of stuff, and that's where mammon gets its name. So it was literally a God of the other nations. And, and so Jesus is talking to his people and he's saying, I got to raise a flag about mammon because it's real. It's a spiritual reality that you've got to deal with if you are going to be a life-giving individual and be a part of my life-giving people. And so he has this to say in Luke chapter 16, verse 9. And so I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon. So he's saying you can use mammon as a tool. Mammon is a good tool, it's just a bad God. Use unrighteous mammon that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. That's just a principle of, of stewardship. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. So what he's saying here is you got to watch when you start small with your stuff. If you'll manage it good when it's small, then you're going to be faithful when it gets larger and larger. At the same time, if you can't manage it when it's small, then he can't trust you with more and more. That's what Jesus said. 11. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And so Jesus said that there's a, there's a judgment that's happening every single time we have more come our way, that it's a test. Every single bank account payment, every single direct deposit, every single first fruit, every single tax check, every single time we sell something, we have a test going on when it comes to the stuff we have. And if we can be faithful in it, then we will be trusted with more. The opposite, of course, is true. If you're unrighteous with the, or if you're unfaithful with mammon, then you can't be trusted with true riches. Twelve. And if you've not been faithful in what is another man's, that's an interesting statement. So let me pause right there. Jesus is saying that everything that we've been given isn't ours. So we're not owners of anything. If you want to write something in your notes, I, I pray you'll write this down or you can do the drop-down box and put a note here. We're called to be stewards, not owners. And he's saying that right here. If you've not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters. And now here's when he's going to put the dichotomy up of two gods. You can't serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. And then he gets really clear. You and I cannot serve God and mammon. Now, the newer translations just simply put money there, but it's more than that. It's a spiritual reality that our money is spiritual, and Jesus used that statement three different times. So what I want to do today for the next few moments is I want to give you a game plan against the spirit of mammon in all of our lives. 
We've got more stuff and we've got more things coming at us than we've ever had before. And now Amazon Prime is making it easier to buy stuff at a one-click rate. And I'm a card-carrying Amazon Prime member. I love Amazon Prime. But the quicker it gets to us and the more emails we get, the more our dopamine brains get trained in pathology to continue to buy things we don't need. But it's just simply our greed that is constantly consuming. And it's a spiritual reality. And if we're going to be a life-giving church, then we've got to say no to the death of mammon and say yes to our master, Jesus. And so what I want to do is just share with you Three things that I've implemented in my life and invite you to do the same. This is a conversation that I'm training my kids with. So I'm going to talk to you like a father because this is how my dad talked to me about this as a young man. And this is the way I'm sitting down talking with my kids. I believe these things with all of my heart. I practice these things with all of my heart. And I want you to experience the life-giving blessing that God has for those that he can trust with his stuff. You ready for this? All right, number one, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. The first thing you got to do if you're going to break the spirit of mammon in your life is you've got to simply return the first. Return the first. Matter of fact, I'm talking a little bit right here to the choir because you are doing this Sunday is the first day of the week. That's the reason that people go to church on a Sunday. And so every single one of you on every single campus, you're returning the first right now. You are tithing your week. You're saying, God, I've got a busy week ahead. I got school. I got work. I got all the things. But I'm going to give you my first day of the week, believing that you're going to bless the other six days of my week and align my life along the reality of the first. Matter of fact, why don't you give yourself a hand for returning the first? Come on, everyone. You're doing it. We as a church returned the first at the beginning of the year. Remember, we did the teach us to pray conversation where we invited every single one of you to show up at 6 a.m. for three weeks in a row. And the craziest thing about all of that is you did it. You did it. And we prayed every single morning as we as a church returned the first to the Lord. Um, if you grew up in a home like I did, I had a dad who taught me what this meant when it came to my first fruits in tithing, but perhaps you didn't, and so this is where I just want to be a, a father to you here and just speak to you like a dad. My father set me down when my first got an allowance for doing chores. I had to make the bed, and I had to take out the trash, and I had to feed the dog, and I had to eat all of my meal and tell mom thank you and clean our plates, okay? And then dad would give my brother and I 10 dimes at the end of the week, and then he would say, whose is that first one? And it was the Lord's. And it was really easy for me then because I didn't have anything of my own. It came from my dad. So, you know, I knew that if I was going to continue to get dimes for my piggy bank, that I had to continue to honor the Lord with my first. And so we would carry that dime to church on Sunday, and we'd drop it in. And so I was trained to do this. I was tithing. Some of you are already here. I was tithing to the Lord before I was even a Christian. All right, So that was really easy for me. And so it was not a big deal when I started getting a little bit of money in high school and then a little bit of money in college and then a little bit of money in my first paycheck. This was just something I have done my entire life. And so I stand on stage and just say to you, I have done this literally when I was not a pastor and now as a pastor. Every single month when the first fruits of my effort hit our bank account, Corey and I write a tithe check. We literally automate it because I don't want anything else to get before the Lord. We return the first. It's a principle, a life-giving principle that Jesus affirms in Matthew 23, 23 and is all over the, the Bible. I want to show it to you specifically. In the book of Malachi, um, the Lord sends the prophet Malachi, last book in the Old Testament, and here's what he says. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, old children of Jacob, you're not consumed. 
from the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my ways and have not kept them. And he invites us, return to me and I'll return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say back to him, how should we return, God? I didn't know we left. And here's what the Lord says. Will man rob God? That's really strong language, but I want you to reckon with it. He calls people who don't return the first robbers. That's what he calls them. Will man rob God, yet you are robbing me? But you say to him, how, Lord? How are we robbing you? And then he says very clearly, you're robbing me and your tithes and your contributions or your offerings. Tithes literally comes from the word one-tenth. So 10%. Contributions are anything we would give above the tithe, okay? He says, you're robbing me when you don't return to me. Now, one of the other little side notes here is in the original language, he doesn't say you give the tithe or you give um, uh, the, the tithe back to, to the Lord. He says you bring it. It's a really interesting word to say you bring it. And the implication is that it was God's to begin with. So every single time we get paid in my house, we bring the tithe back to the Lord. It's an act of worship. Now, let me just stop here and say... Um, I was reading a little bit on this and researching, and I, I ran into one of my favorite pastors ever who had some things to say about this. His name is Reverend Billy Graham. And uh, actually, this week uh, was Dr. Graham's second year. He, he passed away on February 21st, two years ago, being back in the, uh, with the Lord. But Dr. Graham said this on paper, quote, after someone becomes, becomes a Christian, I pastorally First step I want them to do is I want them, if I'm shepherding them, to step forward in public baptism, to tell people in their life, I'm now a follower of Jesus. Tell their, their spouse, their kids, their, their coworkers, public baptism. And then he said this, and I, I'd never read this. And the second thing I encourage people to do is to begin tithing. Because if they begin tithing, then they're going to walk with the Lord and trust him to provide for them every step along their journey with Christ. He says, we're called to return the first. You see it again in the New Testament. Paul, uh, oh no, let me pause. Watch what happens if you begin to tithe or versus you don't. If you don't tithe, the Bible just simply says, you are cursed with a curse. For you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse. So what his encouragement was, was to bring it to the storehouse was a room in the temple that there may be food in my house. So explicitly, he says, the tithe is given to the house of God. That's where the tithe goes, that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test. This is the only time in scripture that the Lord says this, test him. He invites us to test him. And what happens, Lord? The Lord of hosts, and see if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field. It shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. 12, then all nations will call you blessed. For you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Here's what I believe. If you begin to step into God's principle here and align yourself returning the first, God doesn't want to just give you enough to meet your needs. According to Malachi, he wants to give you and I more than we need so that we might meet the needs of others. And all the tithers said, amen. All right, we didn't have a meeting before the meeting, okay? We got, we got together and want to make sure you begin to operate in this. Because this is what God was saying to his nation in Israel. People are going to look to you and say, you're blessed People are going to look to you and say you're a delight. Why? Because you're going to have an abundance to help meet the needs of those around us. 
But the spirit of mammon is coming after all of this. All right, let's see it in the New Testament. This is Paul writing to the church in Corinth. He's actually going to tell the people in Corinth the same thing he told the church in Galatia. Watch this. Now concerning the collection for the saints, is I've given orders to the church of Galatia, so you must do also. This, so this is a command Paul gives. On the first day of the week, when you're coming to church, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper. So he's basically saying, keep up with your work, and when you get first fruits, bring a percentage of that and bring it on the first day to tithe, that there may be no collections when I come. So the first thing that the Lord would tell us to do if we're going to break the spirit of mammon is we've got to return the first. Now, again, I know how this can sound if you're not there, but I just want you to know this, okay? Truth, as, as truthful as I can, can say it. Many of us think that we can't afford to tithe, and I just want to say this out loud clear. You can't afford not to. According to this, you can't afford not to tithe. You're, you're going to begin to step into God's alignment for his resources when you begin to trust him every single day because as long as somebody else gets your first fruits, you're putting your trust in man or in your effort or in the stock market or in the political party that's in ruling power at that moment, okay? You're putting your trust somewhere else and God wants you to trust him. This is an issue of trust. It is not about our church needing this. This is not about, this is the way I'm raising my kids. This is what I would be doing. It wouldn't, if I was a trash can picker upper or a school teacher or a coach or a lawyer, anywhere I would be in life, I believe this to the core of my being. That's why I can say this to you with integrity and a pure heart and also let me say this I tithe this church tithes and every single staff member at this church tithes okay so I want to just cut right to the chase you're not going to be able to hide behind an excuse saying that that church is not no 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 no. this is a promise from God that we believe this church last year gave away four million plus dollars to other Christian entities around the world because we are a tithing church that tithes on the tithe not only that, every single staff member at this church tithes. We don't hire people that don't tithe because we don't want people working for our church, working for the Lord, that manage a budget or manage the resources that you give and not be people that really trust the Lord in this promise. So I just want you to know that. That's the kind of church this is. I believe this so much that I would say to you, if you do not trust the leadership at your campus or you don't trust our pastoral leadership team, that you should go and find a church that you do trust and begin to tithe there because the promise of the blessing of the Lord is so real and it's for you, and he wants you to be a blessing. He's got all the resources of heaven, and we've got all the needs of the earth, and he's looking for people that he can trust. And when we return the first, we are saying out loud, I am trustworthy. Everybody that trusts the Lord says, amen. Number two, the second thing you've got to learn to do is not only do you return the first, but you've got to steward the rest. You've got to steward the rest. Step into stewardship of the other 90%, managing it. Some of us, here's the bottom line, we need to actually get a budget. Did you know that 90% of Americans right now live without a budget? That's like driving your car without any gauges. How fast am I going? How much gas is in my, in my car? I don't know. I'm just going. And if you continue to drive and navigate like that, you're going to end up on the side of the road. And that's reality. We literally have groups here at our church that will help you put a budget together. Because we want to walk with you through this journey. Not only that, we have financial coaches, gifted men and women that will show you, I mean free y'all, free financial coaching. You don't have to go pay someone to do it. We will meet with you and help you on this journey as you are walking into the stewardship of the Lord. 
I'm going to skip over this text in Luke 2 because I don't have time, but it's basically the, 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 the truth Jesus talked about, about bigger barns. And, and a man built bigger barns because he had too much stuff. He, he, he didn't understand this principle. Here's the truth. While our faith determines our eternal destination, it is our behavior that determines our eternal reward. I want you to catch this because here's what's true. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, He is the one that makes you and I right with God. Second, uh, second chapter of Ephesians says this, it is by grace we have been saved through faith, not by works, so that none of us can boast. None of us can do enough to get right with God. But listen, Jesus again and again and again talked about our behavior, how we act determines our eternal reward. Go read the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and look how often Jesus talks about being rewarded in heaven. He used reward. He wants you and I to not just get saved, get our get-out-of-hell-free card, and then live however we want. That's how the enemy steals from you. He's stealing from your eternal life and your eternal reward. But the Lord says if you will steward what He's given you, you can anticipate treasure, that's his word, in heaven, 100 times what you would have on earth. And you're not going to have it for 80 years, you're going to have it for 80 infinities, okay? So I want you to catch that, all right? And the last thing I want you to get is that we've got to focus on true riches. That's what all of this is about. We've got to focus on true riches. Now, uh, let me just tell you a little bit about true riches. That's what the Bible says is eternal riches. I, I sat down and I was talking with a, a young couple in our church this week. I actually didn't know this story. They go to another campus uh, in the upstate, and uh, they actually attended New Spring Church. When they were in college, they were dating, and the first sermon they ever came to was a sermon on tithing. They heard these principles. They had never heard it before. And they had never begun tithing before. Um, they, they get married. They end up getting uh, their kind of their starter jobs, and the husband ends up getting fired. And then the wife is like the breadwinner. She's, she's selling some medical sales stuff, and they actually get their very first commission check from her. And so the husband knew, hey, this is, this is her earnings. And so he asked the question to her, so are we going to tithe on that? Do you want to tithe on it? They'd never done it before. One job, one income, young college kids just out. They decided to do it. They wrote their very first tithe check. This has been 12 years ago. They go on, listen to this, they meet the Lord, they get saved, get baptized, end up getting married, having three kids with the fourth on the way. And I met him this week, and I just will say out loud, I, can't, I, just, I want to guard the amount here, but I want to tell you, they're some of the most generous people in our church in their mid-30s with a young family. And in their business, if you walk into their business that they started together over 10 years ago, they literally in the lobby have Malachi 3 posted on the wall. Said, man, it's all the Lord. We started to operate God's way, and He started to open up the windows of heaven and pour out so many blessings that we literally had no place to store it. They, they said that we don't, we don't just tithe. We literally think about, do we have so much burden of blessing? And when we get to the moment where there's so much burden of blessing, we literally say, we're not doing a good enough job giving it away. So they're giving it away to more of their employees, more of their, their, their folks that they know in their family, more people. That, and they literally think about how to steward the rest in order to be a blessing. Now, one of the reasons that a lot of people miss this is because we start our gospel narrative with Jesus in the conversation of sin. And we, it's like we start with Genesis 3. 
and that sin entered the world and ever since then we're broken. And, but, but before there was original sin, Genesis 3, go back two chapters, there was original blessing. God's design for humanity is that we'd walk in a relationship trusting Him. He'd be able to bless us and that we would be a blessing. That is the literal gospel narrative. And when you begin to follow Jesus Christ, He wants to do the same, but He wants you to trust Him. He wants you to trust Him. I want to share a story kind of to wrap all this up in conclusion. I want to share a story. Now, you've got to use your imagination. You guys okay? Use your imagination for this one. All right, let's say in 20 years from now that I am the richest person you know. Complete imagination, but let's just pretend, okay? Richest person you know. Uh, but I'm going to leave for a while, and I'm going to leave my three kids in charge of taking care of mama. All right, you just met Corey a little bit ago. She's so sweet. I love her to death. And I'm going to leave my kids, Campbell, Mary Bradford, and Gaines, and I want them to take care of mama. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave for a while, and I'm going to send them money to take care of mama. All right? And let's, let's just say this. I send Campbell and Mary Bradford and Gaines every single month. I'm sending them $10,000 each, and I want them to use that to live on. But I want them, before they do anything, I want them to take care of my bride, their mom. All right, And so I find out a year later that Campbell, my firstborn, she started off strong. She's a rule follower, and she to the penny, just boom. All right, Mom, I got $10,000 this month. I'm going to make sure you get your 1000 and Mom, I'm doing it. But then after three months, after four months, after five months, all of a sudden she starts kind of like skipping or maybe like halfway through the month making sure Mom's okay. And, you know, she's kind of checking in on Mom, and she's kind of, let me know if you need anything, Mom. And she's, she's not doing the thing I asked her to do. So that's how she operates. Then let's talk about Mary Bradford. She's my middle one. She's wide open and she's wild, okay? And those middle kids, sometimes they get lost in the middle of everything. All right, I don't know if you're a middle kid or you got one of these. But I send her $10,000 and, and every month she gives her mom $1,000 one month, $1,000 two months, $1,000 three months, 1000 And every month she's just faithfully given every single month. And I, I, I see that, I see that. And then I look at my, my baby boy, Gaines. He can't even talk right now. He has a hard time saying mama and dada. But in 20 years from now, he's going to be able to do all that. And let's say I send him $10,000 a month to take care of my bride. And I look and see, and Gaines is sending mom, taking care of her $1,000 this month and $1,000 that month. And then all of a sudden, $1,500. Then all of a sudden, $1,800. Then all of a sudden, $2,000. And then later on, $2,500. And he's figuring out how to live the way he lives, but he's taking care of mom more. Now, just candor here. I want you to hear this. I, none of that's going to change the way this daddy loves his kids, amen? I love those kids equally. Every single one of them I love. But I entrust to them differently. That isn't the principle of my story. That's literally a parable that Jesus told in the Gospels. He says that we all have been entrusted with an amount. And that God is watching to see, are we using it on ourselves and serving mammon? Or are we trusting God and we're taking care of the bride of God, the church, first. And He wants to reward those and He wants to entrust those. He loves us all equally, but He trusts us differently because we are either trustworthy or we're not. We want you to be trustworthy and we want you to be blessed individually and collectively so that we can do more. 
You know, the last two weeks alone, I want to just tell you, I want to brag on our staff for a minute, okay? Can I brag on our church staff? Is that okay with y'all? Let me brag. We didn't just do church on Sunday. We didn't just do Fuse on Wednesday and Sunday. We didn't just do Rally and Kids Spring and all the general ministries. All of those things were done well the last two weeks. But we also have a group right now in India doing missions work. It's incredible what they're doing there. We're getting updates all the time from what they're doing there. Not only that, this week we actually had Fuse staff, Caleb White and our Fuse staff, led literally led a ministry training for every single youth pastor in the Southern Baptist Convention. They were invited to do it. They poured out to every single youth pastor in the Southern Baptist Convention that came to this conference. You can clap at any point if you want. I know some of you are kind of like sort of starting to now listen to this. We've got another group that was in Dallas this week working with other churches about how to help take care of and begin to cultivate the, the, the witness of Jesus in Israel and how we begin to help Jewish people begin to understand that Jesus Christ is the Messiah and how we can partner with that. So we had a group in Dallas doing that. Myself and some of our worship team, we actually were up in Asheville, North Carolina this week for three days, did a training for every single FCA staff member in the Southeast. That's who we trained this week. Hundreds of FCA staff members and we just were able to give that away and do that and we're doing so much more every single week. Dan and Clayton over the last two weeks have served at three different marriage conferences where they were pumping in and sharing the truth and preaching and helping marriages get better. And our church is doing so much on what we currently are generous with. I just want to invite you to believe that God wants to do more so we can do more ministry and we can see his name and his fame and his freedom extended to more as we walk into being a life-giving church. Amen? Can I invite you to stand to your feet? I want to pray for us. Our worship team is going to come, and we're going to sing a great classic hymn because here's where it is. This is between you and the Lord, and you've got to trust that God's faithful and that He's been faithful and that the stock market's not where your faith lies, your employer's not where your faith lies, your, your own skill and sweat's not where your faith lies, but the Lord is where it is. And so we're going to sing Great is Thy Faithfulness, and I just want to invite you to begin to wrestle with the Lord. Maybe you're already there, and you just need to be encouraged to keep going, keep trusting. Maybe you and your spouse, or maybe you and your, your fiance, or maybe just you and, your, you and your own checkbook need to sit down and be honest about this. Am I returning the first? Am I stewarding the rest? Am I trusting God that I can acquire true riches in heaven? So Father God, for every single person on every single campus, we say thank you. We thank you, God, for what you've done and what you're gonna do. And Lord, I just pray the blood of Christ and the resurrection power of Jesus Christ over the spirit of mammon, over this acquisition thing, this, this materialistic, capitalistic stuff, that Lord, that we would recognize that money is not the problem. It's the love of money. It's the love of acquisition. And that you, Jesus, as you were even tempted by Satan, you, you broke the spirit of mammon when Satan tried to offer you all the kingdoms of the world and you said, nope. I don't need all of that because I know if I have my relationship with God, I have everything. And so, Jesus, thank you for putting this available to us through your power. And I pray that we'd follow you. God, I pray for anybody that's scared. They're just fearful. The reality is there's, there's some single parents. There's some, there's some folks on fixed income. There's, there, all those things are true. But the bottom line is we will not back away from your word. And your word tells us that we have a choice to make. We can trust you or we can put our trust in other things. And Lord, I just pray against idolatry and that you, Lord, would prove yourself faithful. We're standing on your word and believing that you're going to open up those floodgates and pour out blessing. And we're going to hear 
more testimonies of how faithful you are as we step into the destiny of being the life-giving church you've intended us to be. We love you, Lord. It's in your name we pray, and it's in your name we sing now. Amen.